Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Just want to start with a, a few things. The next two weeks, depending on you know what happens this week, um, I'm going to be speaking on something I'm calling the Legacy Series and trying to answer the question, you know, how do you want to end your life story? How do you want this life story that you're writing to end? And in part, I don't know how many of your readers, I've been here for almost uh, 16 years, and, and I don't know if Harvest is really a reading church, which is okay. Uh, hopefully you're reading your Bibles. That's cool. You don't have to read books outside, but if you're reading your Bibles, it's good enough. Um, but I picked up a book by Andy Stanley. It's entitled Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And uh, it's a good book, but there's really one chapter that sticks out to me the most, and it's where he talks about what's the story you want to write, which is what I'm going to be talking about. What's the legacy that you want to leave behind? So uh, this is just what God is doing in my life. And I tell you that because as I'm speaking today, uh, I want you to know I'm speaking to myself. So if you hear yourself in there, it's not because I know something about you and I'm trying to point out something in your life. Uh, hopefully, it's God speaking to you and saying, hey, this is something that I want you to pay attention to. So realize when you hear what's going on up here uh, through me, it's me speaking to myself out loud. And I know that sounds weird. Uh, I'm supposed to be speaking to you. Uh, but I feel this is the message that I need to hear uh, as well as speak, which seems kind of weird because I've been working on it uh, all week long. So uh, with that in mind, <clears throat> why don't we bow our heads just for a moment. And I want you to just, in centering and focusing on God at this moment, just simply ask God, make my heart fertile soil. Somewhere in all of this, for the shortest amount of time, let my heart be fertile soil. Let me hear your word. Father, in our world, there is so much that is going on, so much to focus on, so much to pay attention to, so many details, so many attractions. I pray for us here that we may fix our eyes on you. I know we are here for you, but I also know we're here because we have needs. Our greatest need being you, which is why I pray that our focus would be on you. May your spirit connect your word to our hearts and our lives. Leaving here is not just another exercise in our Sunday practices. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was sharing it in youth group, how much I love stories. I I love stories. Uh, I I think people in the congregation love stories. As a pastor, you know, when you start telling a story, it seems like people wake up. You know, you could be reading the Bible, you're sharing principles, and people are kind of taking notes. And, but as soon as you start telling a story, it's like people come alive. So, so I, have to, I have to say, I think most of us here like stories too, right? Amen? We like stories. Uh, I like real stories. Uh, I don't like stories where they're always predictable. No offense, that's why I didn't like the Wonder Woman movies. I thought they were just like, come on, man, this is so, so do something different, do something real. Um, I like Star Wars. Uh, obviously, a lot of you probably like Star Wars. What I'm about to share, please don't send me Star Wars fan hate mail. It's just my opinion. Uh, but my favorite two Star Wars movies are Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, and Rogue One. Okay, you got that feeling of hate now going like you're going to write to me and say, dude, man, you are so off, those first three movies. You know, I admit it, the first three were horrible. But it's the ending of Revenge of the Sith that makes it probably my favorite Star Wars movie. 
Just because when I, I enter into that situation, and I know it's fiction. My wife tries to tell me it's not real. It's fiction. But when I enter into that, I think of, like, what is the pain that Obi-Wan felt as he saw his friend uh, turn to the dark side? And if you've ever seen Clone Wars, I think of Ahsoka, who's my favorite Star Wars character, uh, and the pain that she had to feel when her, her teacher uh, turns to the dark side, the grief that she feels, and how, in the end, you recognize it's a real story. The good guys really don't win. And uh, so to me, when I, I, I get into that story, I like it because it, it's real. It's, it's why I like Rogue One, because if you remember the scene where they're sitting on the bench and that big wave of death is coming at them, it's like, dude, that's real, man. They're not getting off this planet. They're dying. They don't even know if their mission is a success. That, to me, is a, is a real story. I, I like it. Um, I like a Bollywood movie called 1971. How many of you have seen that movie? Uh, none of you. It's an unknown movie. It's a great movie, man. And you're thinking, like, it's, it's, a, it's a little long. Uh, not a lot of the singing and dancing that you normally have. But the ending, again, the ending is so powerful to me. I, I won't share what the ending is, but I watched it with Bobby Eumann once, and he was like, wow, man, what an ending. Because it, it's real. That's just the way life happens. The good guys didn't win uh, in that one. And uh, I don't know if Heath is there, but I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation of this. Uh, I'll ask for forgiveness. But one of the best books slash pamphlets I've ever read on dealing with grief is something that he wrote called Little Musa. And uh, it's short, but at the end of it, it so struck me because it was so powerful and because it was so real. I love real stories. A story that's real. I, I just don't like the fluff where everything turns out happy and everything is all good in the end. Because that's not life, right? Does anyone hear some of those storybooks? Yeah, we don't have those storybooks. So I like real stories. I also like redemption stories. I love redemption stories because you have a villain who's a real villain and something happens and they're different. Like, how about it? Severus Snape? Anybody? One of my favorite Harry Potter guys. Because, I mean, like, you're, like, hating the guy all the way through. And you get to the last book and you're like, oh, Wow. Where'd you come up with this? It's a redemption story. And in a weird way, it's a love story. And, and it's a real story because his love never gets to be fulfilled. Right? If I ruin the book series for you, I'm sorry. But again, that's why that last book, number seven, is my favorite one. People go, how can you like that one? It's so long and so boring. Because it's a redemption story. Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai. Anyone with me? Right? I'm rooting for that guy, man. Come on, bro. Do it. Get over the top. And, and anyone watching Loki? Disney Plus? Man, I, you know, I'm going to ruin it for you. If you haven't seen it too bad, the episodes are out. But, but not the Loki that we're used to, but that, that scene, I think it's in the fifth one, where the, the Loki, who's kind of like coming around, gives of himself. It's a redemption. I love those redemption stories. My favorite redemption story is the fact that God has redeemed mankind. Those who are his enemies, those who are children of wrath. When Jesus comes down, he lives among us. To what? Die. <laughs> to die on a cross for our sin, to redeem us. I love that story, and I personalize it because when I look at myself, I think, how does Jesus love me in my sinful mess? Man, that is just crazy. To think that there is a God who has created the heavens and the earth. And he so loves the world. He so loves all of us the same. And yet is willing to initiate and give so much to redeem that which was lost. Man, that is such a cool story. And so I love real stories. I love redemption stories. And today I want to talk about not just my story, but hopefully as you're listening, your story as well. And I want to answer this question how do you want your life story to end? How do you want your life story to end? And I think that's a big question. Now, normally I would say turn to, uh, your, open up your Bibles, but I've written a youth group, man, nobody has a Bible anymore. They all bring their phones. And, uh, man, the first church that I went to, I remember if you didn't have your Bible with you, you weren't Christian. Didn't matter how long you were, and it had to be King James, but that was a long time ago. That's when Chris and I roamed the earth with dinosaurs. Can't go down myself, bro. I got to bring you with me. But if you open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles, 
chapter 26, and we're going to look at the life story of Uzziah. And uh, I think I'm going to read off of this thing only because, you know, with age, the eyesight goes. So I'm going to move over here a little bit. But I want to read the verses, and I'm going to share a little bit. So here's what we're going to do. Read the verses, share a little bit, and then I'm going to bring some principles and finish with us with a story as a conclusion. All the people of Judah had crowned Amaziah's 16-year-old son Uzziah as king in place of his father. After his father's death, Uzziah rebuilt the town of Eleth and restored it to Judah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was Jechaliah from Jerusalem. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. So here, before you move forward, guys, just a quick blurb. I know you read it, but just to help you understand this, you have this young 16-year-old king who's become uh, the king after his father's murdered. The people want him to be the king. He reigns for 52 years, and one of the first things he does is he recaptures a very important economic time, so a town. So what he's really doing is he's rebuilding the, the economy. It's like a, this is a trade center. This is a trade post. This is a place like Tuba City, if you think about Tuba City. It, it's a central part of Arizona. It's on the reservation, but it's that one place where everybody meets, and then you go off to the other parts of the reservation. Here, this is a very important city. So already, this young man is doing things. He's being blessed by God. Move on to verse 5. And it reads this way, and I have a little, uh, this, I, did the, I did the PowerPoint today. Impressive, right? All I do is cut and paste. Nothing impressive about it at all. But look at that. I did a little, like, extra bold, right? Cool. Here it is. Verse 5. I know you're all laughing. You're like, dude, five-year-olds can do that. Well, okay, so I'm mentally five years old. So Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. Uh, This is, I think, uh, the key to following God. Uh, Again, putting into the fact that Christ is the center of this. But I want you to understand, Uzziah sought God. It it wasn't like, you know, the the word here is is like a a passionate, a a hunger, a, a thirst, a desire, something really, really, really strong, uh, something that you really, really want. And uh, Uzziah really wants God. <laughs> this is the simplest way to put it. He craves God. I mean, uh, White Castle has built this whole kind of advertising campaign on craving uh, sliders. Uh, mind you, I like White Castles, but I don't crave them. But there's a, this craving that Uzziah has for God. And as long as he seeks God, and as long as he has his mentor telling him, listen, seek God and fear God. In other words, when he says, when you fear God, and you hear God's word, and you listen to God's word, you're hungry to do God's word. So the fearing of God, the craving of God, the seeking of God, is not just listening to sermons or entering uh, into worship music, songs, and all that stuff, but it's a real hunger that in the end, to really say, I fear God, is I will obey God. So that whatever God says, I'm doing it. It's going to be hard, but that's how it's, he, he really is craving and seeking uh, after God. And that's a verse, I think, whether Old Testament or New Testament saints can grab onto and say, if you want to experience success, seek God. Now, I throw a little disclaimer here. Because the success that Uzziah is going to have isn't the same kind of way we define success today. (coughs) Because success today is a little bit different. It's experiencing God, the life of God in our lives. So just because you seek God doesn't mean all your financial ills are going to go away. It doesn't mean all your pains are going to go away. It doesn't mean you're never going to suffer again. Uzziah's got a different story, different time, but I just want to make that claim. As a follower of Jesus, when you seek Jesus, you shall be successful. And I'll say what I really mean is fruitful. Uzziah's successful. Let's move on. Next verses. Here's a description of how successful Uzziah is. Uzziah declared war on the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. Then he built new towns in the Ashdod area and in other parts of Philistia. God helped him in his war against the Philistines, his battle with the Arabs of Gur, and his war with the Meunites. The Meunites paid annual tribute to him, and his fame spread even to Egypt, for he became very powerful. 
Basically, he seeks God and he's successful. How so? Because God helps him. He goes off to war and he has military victory after military victory after military victory. And people say, wow, that guy, man, he is famous. He's a rock star in a sense. And he's become very powerful. His military is very, very powerful. Let's move on to the next few verses. Uzziah then built fortified towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle in the wall. He also constructed forts in the wilderness and dug many water cisterns because he kept great herds of livestock in the foothills of Judah and on the plains. He was also a man who loved the soil. He had many workers who cared for his farms and vineyards, both on the hillsides and the valleys. Another description of success. Not only has he recaptured this economically important town, but he's built up all these cities, and he's fortified them. He's made them strongholds. And then he goes on, and he starts these public works projects. He's kind of like an FDR, a a Roosevelt, uh, during the Depression. You know, we're having some hard times, but, man, let's go together. And so everything that he does, God is helping with, and he's being successful. So everybody's being blessed. Not only is he being blessed, but everyone else is being blessed. Let's move on. Uzziah had an army of well-trained warriors ready to march into battle unit by unit. This army had been mustered and organized by Jael, the secretary of the army, and his assistant, Messiah. They were under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officials. These regiments of mighty warriors were commanded by 2,600 clan leaders. The army consisted of 307,500 men and elite, all elite troops. They were prepared to assist in the king against any enemy. In other words, this guy has made an army of special forces that's all special forces. But moving on, because I know I'm beginning to see you guys fade. You're waiting for the stories. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and sling stones, and he built structures on the walls of Jerusalem designed by experts to protect those who shoot arrows and hurl large stones from towers and corners of the wall. His fame spread far and wide, for the Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. Now, halftime. Let's take a halftime right here. What I want you to see is that Uzziah, in seeking God, was successful. Everything that he put his hand to led to success. If he built up the military, they became very powerful. He invented new weapons. He gave them the best of weapons. He didn't, he didn't arm them with uh, cheap stuff. It was the good stuff. He made them a very powerful army. He started these public works so that people could eat, they could be fed, they could be well taken care of. Basically, the economy is booming. It's like it's going crazy. No such thing as inflation in this time because things are just going so well because Uzziah continues to seek God. Wouldn't you like to live in a country like that? How many of you have debt? Don't raise your hands. I'm sure we're all going to raise our hands and go, man, I have college debt. How many of you are praying for a relief in college debt, right? Of course, we're going to pay for it later, but you know what I mean. You're still hoping, still hoping for relief. Could you imagine living in a country where nobody has debt and everything is prospering? That's kind of what's going on in Uzziah's time because Uzziah is seeking God. God, what is it that you want me to do? I will do it. They're doing it, and everything is prospering. This is awesome stuff to read. It's almost like, dude, let's just end the story right here. Unfortunately, as Brother Joe's going to bring up the next slide, this can be either the best word in the Bible or the worst word in the Bible. During uh, COVID, I, I was sharing with the, the group of people that we had at in-person service. I want, one day I want to do a sermon series on the best buts in the Bible. You know? We were dead in our transgression and sin. But God, in his mercy and grace, saved us. Isn't that a great but? That is awesome. They're all over scripture. And so this one here, not so cool. Because after all the success that Uzziah has said, here's what happens. But... When he had become powerful, we saw that two times mentioned, he's become a very powerful person. He also became proud, which led to his downfall. Pride comes before the fall. This is it. Perfect example of that proverb. He sinned. 
against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Azariah the high priest went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. This is the work of the priests alone, the descendants of Aaron who are set apart for this work. Get out of this sanctuary, for you have not lived in your brokenness, but you have sinned. You have sinned. The Lord God will not honor you for this. Those are just powerful verses to me because you have a man who is seeking God. And he can see the fruitfulness not only in his life, but in the life of his people. And then something happens. Somewhere along the way, he begins to think, you know what? I'm a pretty good dude. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good king. This, this success is because of me. And he becomes proud. He becomes arrogant. And the crazy thing is, he's still seeking God. But here's the fine definition. He's begun to seek God in his own way and not in God's way. He's begun to seek God, not the way that God wants to be sought, but in the way that Uzziah has decided, this is the way God is supposed to be sought. He's coming to worship. He's coming to worship God. And he says, God, I know in your word you've said this. Aaron has descendants. Yeah, they're the ones that are supposed to do this. But come on, man. I'm King Uzziah. Look at the prosperity that we are in. I have sought you. Great things have happened Everything is so excellent. How can I not be a part of this? Here's the interesting thing. There are many times, you can see this in a lot of churches and in the lives of a lot of people, when we are seeking God and we want to do what God wants us to do, but we begin to think, I know how to do this. And so we might have the right thing. We might have the right thing that God wants us to do, but when we do it in the wrong way, guess what God calls it? Not a nice try, but sin. Uzziah, twice in these verses, is called out. Bro, you have sinned. And the cool thing about God is that he sends 81 people to come up to the king and say, Bro, this is not cool, man. What you're doing is not God's way. You need to get out, man. You need to just run. Run. This is cool. And so God gives Uzziah a chance to repent. Where Uzziah can say, all right, uh, whoa, whoa, you're right. Man, not cool what I'm doing. I wanted, I'm trying to seek God, but I lost my way. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm going to back out. And that's the cool thing that Uzziah does, right? Let's see the next few verses, Brother Joe. Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, recognized his sin. He put the incense burner down. He placed it on the floor. He got on his knees, begged for God's forgiveness. He repented and God restored him. Isn't that a cool ending? No, that's not what it says, right? It says Uzziah was holding the incense burner and he became furious. He was standing there raging at the priests. You know, I don't know. Let's, I'm just going to pretend. Let's pretend these guys are the priests and I'm Uzziah's. And he looks at them and he goes, do you not know who I am? Do you not get the fact that I am the king? Do you not understand that your prosperity is because of me? And you have the gall to stand in my way to offer anything to God? Who do you think you are? Now, I would have to imagine this probably went on for a little bit longer, and he's yelling and he's screaming, and then look what happens. As he's raging at the priest before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. So he's yelling, and he's screaming, he's raging. And I don't know, I've, I've experienced rage in my life. I, I've seen it in me. It scares me. Maybe you felt the same thing, but if you can imagine that kind of rage going on and then suddenly just this huge leprosy breaks out on your forehead. 
I don't know why the forehead, maybe it's because of the clothes that he's wearing, everyone, it was to be visible right away, or because he was in his mind thinking proud, and God wanted to strike him right where he would recognize the fact that, bro, your thinking is wrong. Not sure why, but it breaks out. And then when Azariah and the high priest and all the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out. It's, it's a good thing in some ways. The king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. He woke up. So King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house, for he was excluded from the temple of the Lord. His son Jotham was put in charge of the royal palace, and he governed the people of the land. Those three words, isolation, separate, and excluded. Here is a man who sought God, experienced the blessing of God, decided he's going to do things his way, even if they're God's things. He's going to do God's things his way. His pride leads to his downfall. And now for the last six to ten years of his life, he lives in isolation in a separate house and excluded from the temple of the Lord. And it gets worse as the story finishes this way. Our last few verses there, Brother Joe. The rest of the events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. When Uzziah died, he was buried with his ancestors. His grave was in a nearby burial field belonging to the kings for the people said he had leprosy even in his death he is living in isolation separation and exclusion so having gone through that whole story what does all of this mean for us this is kind of like the application of all this first thing I want us to learn from this story When Uzziah sought God, he prospered. And Brother Joe, can you for the rest of the service put up verse 5? Just, if you, if you, if I lose you from here on in, that's okay. If you're just meditating on this verse, I'm okay with that. But Uzziah, when he sought God, he prospered. I don't know about you, some mornings I wake up and I feel absolutely empty. Absolutely empty. And I think to myself, why God? Why, why, why? Why? Why is this hole in my heart there? Why does this emptiness exist? What's going on? It leads me to wonder, am I seeking you, God? Perhaps God is creating this hole for me to do something else. I don't know, but that hole is there, and I wonder, God, where is that sense of your presence that comforts me that even in the midst of loss, you're still there? But that emptiness is there, and I wonder, am I really actually seeking God? Are we seeking God? Another thing I notice is a principle that's important. Uzziah's life dramatically changed when he did things his own way. His pride led to his downfall. Scripture is pretty clear. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to those who are humble. Are you feeling the loss of the presence of God? Perhaps you are walking in a pride that you don't think that you are. And when you face this lack of prosperity, perhaps, key word is perhaps, because I don't know how God is working in your life, and God works in mysterious ways, but perhaps that wall that you are facing there is because God is opposed to you in your pride. Where you have begun to think, God, I know better. I know how this works. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I pray, I tell God pretty clearly, God, I know what needs to happen. And I know how it needs to happen. And in my mind, when I really finally get to that place where I understand what's happening, I can imagine God just going, dude, you are so way off. You are so way off. Because God is opposed to those who are proud. God is opposed to sin. God does not bless sin. God blesses those who seek after him with their whole hearts. You see, Uzziah's problem, and I say this again, was not the fact that he stopped seeking God, because he was. The problem was that he decided he knew better than God. He knew how to approach God, and God didn't know how. And there, his pride became sin. Pride is sin. I mean, the, the bigger message, I think, probably the more key message to this passage, is the fact that pride is sin, and God opposes it, And that's what we walk away with. It's that simple. 
There's, there's more, though. It goes on. Because what I want us to also see is that God takes sin seriously. God, in his grace, gave Uzziah 81 people to say, bro, stop. You're doing wrong. And he didn't listen. But God, in his grace, gave him people to say, what you're doing is wrong. It's flat out wrong. You need to stop. But he didn't repent. And so God takes sin seriously. And the consequences, I will say, not for us necessarily, are deadly. They will stop the work of God in your life. If you are a proud person, if you're living in sin and you don't care what God says, God does not have to prosper you and most likely doesn't but keep sending people into your life and saying, hey, wake up, don't do this. Stop. To continue in pride, to manipulate behind the scenes, to plan things that aren't the way things God wants them to be, whatever it is that you're doing, God is saying, stop. God does not want to punish Uzziah. Verse 5 very clearly says God wants to give him success. He wants to bless him. He doesn't want to stop him. He doesn't want to put anything in his way to experience God more, to experience the fruit of actually knowing God. But God takes sin seriously. When we become over, overly familiar with sin, we begin to wonder, where is this work of God? Perhaps the work of God has disappeared because we've stopped listening to God and his word and what he's asked us to do. The ultimate consequence ultimately is that Uzziah's lack of repentance leads to his continued exclusion even until the day that he dies. I don't like this story. I don't like this story at all. I would say I hate this story. But for me, it's a lesson I need to hear. It's a lesson that I need to hear because there can be a pride that rises up. There can be an over-familiarity with sin. And in all these things, God looks and says, no, not cool. No, not good. That is sin. Stop. Seek me. Seek my face. Not my hand of favor necessarily, but seek me. Seek my face and see all the barriers disappear. See the success, the fruitfulness, the prosperity and I think in a, in a New Testament dispensation, how, how that prosperity changes, not from big homes and great cars and super vacations, but to experiencing God. To experience not just God for self, but the fruit of what God does. And I, and I always wonder sometimes, why are there not more people becoming followers of Jesus? Is there a barrier that we have created is there something within us that we have experienced that we have not humbled ourselves and said, to God and God alone does this work belong. We will follow. We will obey. That's our story. Let me finish with this. And I promise we're nearing the end. Three perspectives. And this is an application, but not the main point of the text. But I think there's a very powerful application based on what I'm reading in the book, what I'm experiencing in my life. Ultimately, with the question being, how do you want your life story to end? Think of it this way. How many of you have grandchildren? Okay, none of us do. Just trying to see if they're awake. Pay attention to me. Or do we? Oh, no, I was wrong. I was wrong. That's right. You have a couple. That's right. Okay, I'm, I'm, my mistake. How can you have a couple when you're only in your 30s? I don't understand that. Man. Okay. I don't have grandchildren, as far as I know. One day, though, I'm hoping... And I said, I just dispersed my kids. What a parent is that for crying out loud? <laughs> One day when I have grandchildren, and I know that I'm nearing the end of life, you know, I want to be able to sit down with them, and I want to tell them the story of how Jesus has been so faithful to his work in my life. I want to be able to tell them stories how when it looked like we weren't going to be able to survive financially, and God provided how it looked like things were over in one place in time and then they blossomed and they grew because we sought God. I want to tell them stories that when they look to and they go, man, I really want to love Jesus. I want to meet this Jesus. 
I want to experience this Jesus. Those are the kind of stories that I, I want to tell my grandchildren. I don't know. Someone the other day was telling me this story, and I wish, because it just popped in my head. I don't even remember what the story was. But I said, man, I want to tell a story like that. That is real, that's a, such a cool Jesus story where God is working, and it's so obvious. You know, sometimes I think, and this is a little off base maybe, but sometimes I think as a church, we, we're so happy with the little things that God does. Like, man, that person said some cool phrase, and wow, God is at work. And yeah, that's cool, but I'm really talking about, I want to see God work in such a way that people become followers of Jesus at this church, where people are actually coming. You know, statistics, they say, uh, young kids from the age of 12 to 16, whatever the range is, like 70% of them become followers of Jesus. But then the, the statistic that really bothers me is the one that says 90% of kids who go off to college who have been Christians don't come back as Christians. You see, we, we rejoice at these, I can settle for these small things that got us. I want something big, man. I want something that when our youth group kids go off to college, they all come back. And they're all still on fire for Jesus. That's, what I, that's the kind of work of God I want to see. And I don't believe that God can't save people over 18 years old. I want to see people who are 19, 24, 47, 68, almost as old as me and Chris, coming to Christ. Because age doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Because we sit there and say, oh, it's only youth cup down. No, it's not. I want to see that work of God. I want to tell my grandchildren I experienced the revival of God in such a way you could see it. You could see the change. <clears throat> Not the niceness, but the change. That's a story I want to tell my grandchildren. That's one way that I look at it. Another way I look at it is like this. Can you imagine when we all get to heaven and we're sitting around the table and we're talking about our life story? And, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I can picture myself sitting at a table uh, with, with a group of people from the early first church and they're sharing their stories they're like dudes man when we were with Nero and uh, then he, he put us on those poles and put the tar on us and light us on lit us on fire man like that that was dying for Jesus that was painful it was difficult but to know that our blood was the blood that grew the church man that's awesome then I think of like sitting around the table too or some people from like the reformation and they're like man I remember when they burned us at the stake man that was tough it was difficult man I remember the pain but again, to realize that the Reformation grew because of our blood. And I think sitting around the table with someone who's been in China and persecuted for years, and they think, man, I'm sitting in this gulag, and they're torturing us, and they're beating us, and they're trying to, to, to re-educate us. And I died in the midst of that. And, I said, Whoa. And, then, and they look at me, and they go, hey, how about you? And I go, man, somebody hurt my feelings. Oh, you should have known how bad my feelings were hurting. And I'm not mocking anyone. Remember, I'm speaking to myself. I'm saying this is how I picture me in heaven. I'm not saying hurt feelings should be minimized. Please do not leave here thinking I'm saying that. I am not. From someone who's experienced a lot of hurt feelings, it is painful. But I'm looking at myself, 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 and the story I want to write. And I don't want to stand before all of these people who are talking how they gave their lives literally for Jesus. And my story is the biggest suffering for Jesus I had was because somebody hurt my feelings and I couldn't forgive them. Man, that says a lot about me, doesn't it? And that's not good. And that's why I'm telling you right now, I'm speaking to myself. What story do you want to tell when you sit around the table with these people? Not everyone has to die a martyr. Not everyone has to die a martyr. I am not calling for us to go out there and then martyr ourselves. I am not saying that. Talking to myself, but in talking to all of us here, what is the story you want to tell around the table? Another way I look at it is this eulogy. What eulogy do you want? When somebody writes their eulogy, what do you want them to say? I remember the eulogy for my Uncle George. The priest got up there, and he started talking about my Uncle George, and I, I, I feel like everyone in the whole church at that time were like, are we at the wrong funeral? Who's this guy talking about? Because they were talking about a nice guy, a family guy, all that kind of stuff. And we all knew he was mean. He was a mean person. Even then, not even being a follower of Jesus, I thought, what, what do I want people to say about me on that last day? You know, on my tombstone, other than having pepperoni on that, that's a little joke for those of you that remember that commercial, on my tombstone... 
I want it to be written. At least he cared. That's the story I want my children or my congregation to write when they're giving the eulogy. That's what I want. Is it though? Is that what people are actually going to say? Because the thing that scares me is we will all remember what happens last, right? Think of pastors in this area or other people that we know who are great leaders. What will we remember? Like Uzziah, we will remember the failure. And that scares me. I don't want that. He was a good man. God prospered him. But, man, he blew it in the end. I don't want that to be written. And I don't want anyone to say that. I had a friend at, at, at Crunch Fitness who lost his grandmother. The guy was broken up about it. He was, he was panicking because they weren't going to let him share his warm memories for his grandmother. You know what? I want, I want, a, I want a grandchild like that. I want a grandchild to say, I want to tell how Jesus so worked in my grandfather's life and it touched me. That's the kind of story that I want to be written. The last perspective. What's God going to say? Okay, I'm talking about people here. Now this is the one that matters. All the other. What is God going to say when you stand before him? He's going to go, bro, when you sought me, you prospered, but. Or will he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. No, God's not going to say you have to be perfect. Why weren't you perfect? He understands that. If perfection is the standard, we all done. Except for the work of Christ, which makes us perfect. When we stand before God, do you want to hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? How do you want your life story to end? How do you want it to be written? What do you want people to say about you? And ultimately, what do you want God to say? Because the thing that scares me about that is God knows my heart. Because sometimes I do the right thing but not with the right heart, which is so similar to Uzziah. I don't want us to be that way, church. I shouldn't even call you church. I should call you beloved because I love you guys so much. What is the legacy that you will leave behind? What is the story that people will tell about you? What is the story that you will tell when you are in heaven around the other saints? And ultimately, what is the story or how will God write the ending to your story? Hoping right now that you are hearing or will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Why? Because you have obeyed God. Because you have sought God. Because you have feared God. And because when God says do something, you do it. And when he says do something, you do it and you do it his way, not your way. Because our ultimate joy, I believe, not only just seeing the face of Jesus, the one who has redeemed us in our sinful mess and taken all that stuff away and said, come on in, will also say, well done. I think those would be like maybe the four greatest words you can have, uh, five words. Come on in, that's three, forgive my math. Come on in, then well done. Come on in. And then well done. Let's bow our heads. You know, like a normal Sunday, we could just kind of like, okay, not bad. Or we can just stop. And I want us to take a few minutes before we start singing, if that's okay, sister. I want you to ask yourself, seriously. What story do you want to write? How do you want it to end? I want to start with the words, come on in.
when you stand before Jesus, I hope everyone here hears those words. Come on in. And I know that's sort of metaphorical, but also true. Come on in. But I'm going to ask everyone here, have you met Jesus? And I'm not saying that because I'm better, and I'm not saying that because I've heard you're horrible or whatever it is. I'm just asking a question, a very vague general question that I would ask anybody else. But when you meet Jesus, metaphorically, standing at the gates, will he say, come on in? It reminds me of a lot of the way that Rick Warren thinks, you know, one of those questions. Did you know Jesus? Did you know Jesus as your Savior? Did you know that in your mess and all your sin, I sent my son Jesus to die on that cross to bring forgiveness? And he rose from the dead to seal the deal, send it into heaven, all is good. Did you know Jesus? And you want to hear those words, come on in. And when you enter, hopefully the next words are well done. Can you say that right now? I, I, I think probably all of you, myself included, with a sense of humility will go, I'm not so sure. Because if you really knew my heart, I'm not so sure. I feel like if I stood before Jesus, I, I think he would just kind of shake his head. <laughs> and he would say, I'm so glad my father is gracious, bro. You just, you, you made it in by the skin of your, you made it in because of me, and that's it. <laughs> not because of you, but in spite of you. That's, that's what I'm afraid I'm going to hear. But I don't know if God's like that. I think he's a lot more merciful and gracious. And do you not want to hear the words, well done? So I'm going to challenge you. If you're struggling with some kind of sin that's in your life and you're stuck in it and you can't get out, maybe you, the way you're working at circumstances in your life or relationships in your life and you're manipulating people and you're manipulating things and you're trying to make something happen that you might think God wants, but it's really not his way. Are you stuck in that kind of sin? Any sin. God does not prosper us when we live in sin. Can you just say, done with that, God? I don't want to give it up. I'm going to fight you to give it up, but I got to give it up. And so Holy Spirit, fill me and give it up. So today, I think the questions are, do you know if Jesus is going to say, come on in? If you don't, don't leave here until you do. And I mean that. And do you know or sense or expect that he will say, well done. Good job. Most excellent. Glad to have you. Let's celebrate. Because if you can't say that, then there's that barrier keeps you from experiencing God. I don't know, maybe you wake up in the morning and you feel the same emptiness that I feel many a morning. And and when God points his finger and says, it's, it's that, bro. You, you keep, it's that, it's that. Maybe that's what God is saying. There's some, that thing, get rid of that thing. So I want, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit helps you get rid of that thing. That the gates may be wide open the success that you experience may not be the difference of circumstances, but the blessing of knowing God connected in your heart in such a way that gives us the peace that is beyond understanding. And then the fruitfulness to share this Jesus and see other people say, I want that Jesus that you have too. That's the fruit that I want to see in my life. It's the fruit I want to see in this church because we ain't seeing people come to Jesus. Our church grows by transfer, not by new life. Let us pray that God will bring that kind of fruit, not because we're great people, but because God is great. God is good. Our Father, thank you for Jesus who provides us with the greatest real story ever. Where the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth walked this planet in history and died a painful death, not just physically, 
but emotionally in being separated from you, spiritually in being separated from you, in order that we might have life. And so I pray for all of us here that we will come to a place of knowing Jesus by faith surrendering ourselves to Him and Him alone, His grace, His mercy, dealing with our sin, not only the sins we have committed, but the sin that hangs on. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will kill this flesh in us, giving us the ability to walk in this newness of life, to walk in obedience, to walk in the experience of the peace of Jesus, because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and He wants to be so near to us. God, that's what I I pray for. And I pray that we as individuals, we as small groups, we as a church will hear your voice and obey. And that the prosperity and the success and the fruitfulness that we want, that we want to experience is seeing more people come to Jesus. To see young people enter into ministry not just pastoral not just missions but wherever they may go in this world to see those of us who grow older to pass on a legacy of your faithfulness oh God may this church may the story of this church end in a way that when we gather together in heaven for that one meeting together we hear from your mouth well done church well done amen Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.